we're looking at the greatest commandment this morning. The passage begins with a number of questions, and questions are, you know, always fascinating. Uh, so, for example, I wonder if you've ever considered some important questions in life. Like, for example, why do the Flintstones celebrate Christmas? Why does Tarzan not have a beard? If you're from the States, one would be, why does Hawaii have an interstate highway? <laughs> Considering its location. Because I'm dyslexic myself, I always ask the question, why is dyslexic so hard to spell? I'm convinced there's a conspiracy theory there somewhere. Or why does stammer and stutter at both the gimme ST? You know? Uh, I'm going to show a slide which raised a number of questions in the past. What color is the dress? Who sees it as white and gold? Okay, who sees it as blue and black? Amazing. And the other half of the other half think you're lying, you know that. <laughs> so yeah, this question, it divided the internet for a long time. What color is the dress? And people debate over it. We're going to take that off because I don't want you worrying about that for the rest of my message this morning. Okay, you can discuss that later. But there are other questions that arise, you know, like, who is the greatest superhero? Any answers? Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Iron Man, like the list goes on. It's actually very difficult these days with so many of them. Or this one, which is close to my heart, uh, which is the best, Star Wars or Star Trek? Mmm, yes. So a number of questions arise, and a number of questions come up just before we get to this passage. In fact, the first two are trick questions. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to trip him up. The question, the first one is one of a, a, a woman who has had seven husbands, all brothers, you know, because the, the tradition was if the eldest brother died, then the next brother would have to marry the widow to provide children and all of this. Um, I think, so the story goes on for seven of them, you know, and the question is, which one is she married to in eternity or in heaven, you know? Uh, I think if I was number five, six, or seven, I'd have some serious questions about marrying this woman, whoever she might be, tradition or no tradition, okay? But that aside, Jesus says to the people, the leaders, the lawmakers, and the uh, religious leaders of the day, he says, but you are in error because you do not know. There will be no giving or taking of marriage in heaven. It's a separate question. So he sets that one aside. The second big question that's asked is, should we pay tribute to Caesar? Now, that's a trick question, because if a Jew says, yes, you should pay tribute to, G to Caesar, then he is siding with the Romans and the occupying forces, and that's, you know, just not done by good Jews. However, if he says, no, we shouldn't pay tribute to Caesar, then he can be that can be told to the Romans, and they will arrest them. So what does Jesus do? He says to them, bring me a denarii, which was the coin of the day, like bring me a euro. And he says, whose 
uh, picture is on it, whose emblem is on it, and they say Caesar's. And Jesus' answer to them is, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. So if this money is Caesar's, then give it to Caesar, but give the rest of the stuff to God. And I suspect if he had been pushed, he would have said, give your life to God. That's what's most important. There's where the passage we're looking at this morning begins. Uh, having answered those two questions, which were quite significant in the day, someone then asked Jesus, probably in religious terms, what was one of the most significant questions of the day, and that is about which is the greatest of the commandments. Let me read from Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 28. Now, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. So I think it's important to note that this particular question is a good, honest question. The other two were not good or honest. They were asked before because they were attempting to trap Jesus, and he even says that in one of his answers. But this one, someone says, here's a man who can answer the questions well without getting trapped. Let's ask him a real question. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are writing saying that God is one and there is none other but him. To love him with all our heart and with all our understanding and with all our strength. And to love our neighbors as ourselves is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word, that it is living and active. And I pray, Father, that this morning we would open our hearts and our lives and allow it to soak in, that it might make a difference. So, Father, by your Spirit, I pray you would encourage us this day. I pray that you would challenge us. I pray perhaps most significantly, that you would draw us closer to you. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. In many parts of the Bible, and probably one of the great themes of the Scripture, is actually not so much our love for God, but God's love for us. And we could take forever to talk about that. Some verses such as John 15, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so... I have loved you, Jesus says to his disciples, and on to us today. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it says this, and God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, enemies of God, rebellious against him, Christ died for us. I suspect many of us know John 3.16. You know that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Those all speak of 
God's love for humanity, for us as individuals and us corporately. But the passage today speaks about us loving God. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do you put hands and feet to that? Because the term love is often fairly slippery, you know. Is it just a warm, fuzzy feeling? Or is it something that's more practical, something that you can engage with and do and uh, enjoy? Well, Jesus begins when he's asked this question. He, be, he returns to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 which is probably one of the great verses or sections of the Old Testament. It was probably one of the first verses that any Jewish man or boy would learn in the synagogue. This one, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. These commands I give you today so that you might write them upon your hearts impress them upon your children talk about them when you sit down at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up tie them as symbols to your hands and bind them to your foreheads write them on your door frames of your house or upon your gates that's known as the shema of the old testament deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 to 8 a critical section of the importance of what it means to love god and then Jesus adds to that this sense of love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus moves away from the do's and the don'ts of the Ten Commandments. He doesn't supersede them, but he puts them in different terms. It's not don't do this and don't kill and don't steal and don't commit adultery. It's love your neighbor. And if you love your neighbor, you won't do any of those things towards your neighbor or upon your neighbor. It's not remember to keep holy the Sabbath day. In a sense, for the Jews, they had continued to add law upon law to the Ten Commandments so that they would not in any way, even by you know, mistake, break one of the laws. So they had all these rules and regulations that they had to live by. And Jesus sets them apart. It's not don't take the Lord's name in vain probably significant in these last couple of weeks for the Irish society. Um, but again, talking to us as God's people, no, you should not do that. But that's all superseded by the concept of love God. It's not erased. It's not that it's no longer relevant. It's like if you're marrying someone, you know, and someone said, tell me, give me a list of things to do to how I can love my fiancé or my new uh, spouse. How long would that list be? And it would be different for every one of us. But if you simply say, love them well, it covers a multitude. I want to look this morning, particularly at verse 33, because it's in this verse that the the teacher of the law responds to Jesus, and in doing so, he lays out three critical things that are important about what it means to love God. He says in verse 20, uh, 32, you are right to say that love God, that there is no other God than him, and we should love him with all of our hearts. 
And this morning, I want you to think, and I suppose to take away one thing, how important it is to have a passion for God, and out of that flows a compassion for others. To have a passion for God and a compassion for others. And if we remember these things, I think we can work the rest of the stuff out. It begins to make sense. So verse 33 says this, we should love God with all of our heart. I suppose we talk about heart and love, that makes sense. There's where we normally make the connection. When we want to draw a symbol of love, we tend to draw a heart. But what does it mean to love with our heart? How do we make that connection? It's things like feelings, emotions, desires, passions. Those things need to be directed first and foremost towards God. We can just talk about God with our lips, but do we love him with our hearts? Is our desires like God's desires? Do we seek to do what he would have us do? Do we seek to do that which would please him? That's part of what it means to love him with our heart. In the world in which we live, we are drawn every day to give our hearts to all kinds of things and to, to everything and to anything. That's what advertising is all about. However, a love for God is like having a North Star. It doesn't move. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It stays in the same place. It enables us to have a constant direction in our lives. And to ask the question, what in this situation? And I, I suspect there are some here this morning who may be in the midst of difficult situations. But what does it mean in this situation, wherever you find yourself, to love God well? That line will always be constant if you are honest with yourself and allow the Spirit to speak to your spirit. That line will always be constant in one direction. And it will give purpose and direction. See, we can say we love God. And yet the actions may be different. It's a bit like the story of the prodigal son. We we talk about the elder brother who comes back to the father and he says, but I have always been here. I've always served you. And he lives under duty. He lives under doing the right thing because this is my place in life as the elder brother. But there are questions as to whether he truly loves the father. And as this passage that we're looking at this morning goes on, a love for God must work itself out in a love for others. There is clear evidence that he's not so sure about his love for his brother because he refers to him as this son of yours has been away and has come back. He has disowned him in his heart. He is a good religious person, but he doesn't love the Father. And any one of us this morning can be a good religious person and not love God, which is fascinating that it can be so. So in your heart is your desire, is your emotion to move towards God. Is that what you want? 
He goes on in verse 33 to say, and with all of our understanding, our mind, I am fully convinced that the more you know God, the more you will love Him. Many of you know I was, I worked at IBI, the Irish Bible Institute, for many years, encouraging people to study the Bible and training people for ministry. Uh, and I'm fully convinced that whatever questions we have, whatever stuff we think we don't know, we should seek answers. Because the more we know God, the more we love God. I completely reject the sense that, you know, this worship of God is something that is mindless and for flat worlders or anything of that nature. I am fully convinced that good thinking people, intelligent scientists and, you know, folk who make a living out of thinking well are people who can follow God and worship Him well an understanding of our, a mind that works hard at knowing God is not opposed to the concept of a mind that loves God. Romans chapter 12 is very clear in that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. The more we know God, the more we will love Him. And then he goes on finally to say, and with all our strength. Love God with all our heart, with all our understanding, and with all your strength with everything you have. When I see this phrase, with all your strength, it strikes me that there's a sense of, this is something you have to work at. <laughs> Build it up. It's not something you just sit around and expect to happen to you. Put some effort in to loving God. One's physical capacities, including our possessions, our time, our ability. In Old Testament times, when these words were written, and today, Jewish Jew, Jews who go to the Wailing Wall or go to synagogue will tie a black box of phylacteria on their forehead or upon their hand, usually their left hand. The image there, and, and actually the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that I read earlier, is more than likely one of the passages that will be in that box. And the image there is that Everything you think about and everything you put your hand to is guided by the Word of God. Jesus here would probably say is guided by a love for God. If you love God, then you will think about Him. If you love God, you will act in a certain way. That is important. At IBI, we try to tie this particular concept of Deuteronomy, the Shema of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, up in the phrase, loving God, head, heart, and hands. It's not just something you do with your head. You think, oh, or with your lips or with your heart. You may feel, oh, I love coming to church and I love all the worship, but then I'm a completely different person on Monday morning at work. That shouldn't be the case. Or I think about religious stuff and I love getting into religious debates and all the rest. But there's no passion or love for people in that process. No, there has to be a connection between our head, our heart, and our hands. And those connect together. Now, we will enter into a love of God through different ways, perhaps different ones of those. And that's probably my challenge for you this week, to think about 
How can you love God better? We talked about heart. Uh, next Sunday, there's this worship event here, Soak. It might be good just to come and to soak in some, of, some good worship, to spend time in God's presence and just allow our hearts to be opened, to spend some time maybe reading the Psalms or to sit down in the morning for five, ten minutes before the busyness of a long, hard slog day at work and listen to some good worship music. And renew your heart and allow the love of God and your love for God to come through your heart. Maybe it's your head. You know, maybe you have questions that hold you back. That you say, I'm not sure if I can give 100% to God. I'm not sure if I can surrender unconditionally because I'm not sure about certain things. We'll study those things. Find a good book. Do some research. Ask someone who may be able to help you in the right direction. And don't be afraid of the answers. Because the more you know, the more you will love God. I am convinced of that. Maybe for you, you just need to do something. Serve someone, unknowingly or knowingly. Engage in some random acts of kindness. Well, forget the random. Be intentional about them. Intentional acts of kindness into someone's life. Love God that way. And that ties in then with loving others as we love ourselves. I'm not going to say anything about that because I think if you do the first one, that one will take care of itself. And that's where it actually shows itself. I'm fascinated with the phrase in Scripture, the verse that says, and the world will know that you are my disciples by how you Love one another. Down through the centuries, you know, churches have answered that question differently. By which church you attend, or which particular group or order within the church you are part of that makes you look more loving of, um, and important. Or by what version of the Bible you read, or what church you go to. You heard about the fellow who had been marooned on a desert island for six months, and when they found him, he had built himself a house, and he had built two churches. And the guys who rescued him says, what's with the two churches? He says, well, that's the church I go to, and that's the church I don't go to. <laughs> Those are not the things that define that people will know that we love God. What will make the difference is how we love one another. So that will work itself out if we love God well. Jesus' final words to this man is, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And I think that's wrapped up in walking with God every day, loving him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, head, heart, and hands, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. So think, this week, is the one thing you can do, whether it's to do with head or heart or hands, that would express and build your capacity to love God better. And what might that look like? And will you say, I'm committed to doing that? Because sitting on the couch, watching, watching some rubbish on TV is probably not going to build your capacity to love God. 
making deliberate steps with all your strength in a certain direction will do that. Let's pause. I'm going to give you a moment just to consider that with the presence of the Holy Spirit, and then I will pray for us. Gracious Father, I thank you that your Son has made this kind of religious stuff so simple. It is often filled with rules and regulations and often ones that are not written down and we can't figure them out. But at the end of the day, Father, your Son has made it very clear. It is to love God and to love others. So, Father, I pray you would help us this week to love you a little bit better and to respond to others, to have a passion for you, to draw near to you, to know you more. And secondly, Father, that we would have a compassion for others that love would show itself in our relationships here upon the earth. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.